Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, July 13th, 2018. We're going to continue with this Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley series on Jude. It is golden. Man. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, the only kind there are today, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. In fact, it's just utter nonsense for the most part. And that's because the church has been overrun by a bunch of false teachers, false prophets, and false apostles, and uh, people seem to prefer it that way. Now, uh, this summer, man, am I am in I am in a tough summer. The best way I can put it, uh, you know, having to juggle a lot of things. And so, I think what I'm going to be doing for Fridays, you know, through the rest of the summer, I think I may have already said this. Uh, we're going to be playing Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley's sermons uh, on the Book of Jude, and we'll listen to two of them today. First one is titled, Watch Out for the Dreamers. Second one's titled, The Pattern of Treachery. And uh, this series by Pastor Charmley is just just so good and uh, worth passing along. So let's get to it. Uh, here is uh, the first of two sermons by Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edward Charmley of Bethel Church, uh, Bethel Evangelical Free Church in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent. Uh, watch out for the dreamers. Here we go. Our scripture reading this evening is found in the New Testament, in the epistle of Jude. The epistle of Jude, which is produced, is written by a half-brother of Jesus, that's to say a son of Mary and of Joseph, 
who it seems was converted after Jesus' death, and who writes exhorting God's people to contend earnestly for the truth and warning them about false teachers. So the epistle of Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper abode but left their proper domain but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars to who, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that they would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. But you, beloved... Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 
and on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Now we have come in our study of this epistle to verse 8. Jude has been speaking in verses 5 through 7 about these three examples of divine judgment. The generation of the Exodus, who because they would not believe God, they refused to believe God's word, were destroyed. The angels, who did not keep their own domain, that is the fallen angels, who rebelled against the place that God had put them in, they rebelled against God's wisdom, and are reserved under darkness for the judgment to come. And thirdly, Sodom and Gomorrah, who in their immorality overthrew the natural order of things, and are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And now he moves on to the false teachers, the very people he is opposing. Verse 8, These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. This, he says, is what they are like. He refers to them as Dreamers. Now, of course, in modern English, if we speak of someone as a, a dreamer, we mean somebody who has a view on life that's unrealistic, that it, instead of living in the real world, they live in a fantasy world. But biblically, the idea rather is that these people made a claim to divine revelation. So, in the book of Deuteronomy... The fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 13. We find these words that God says. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage, to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Now God did give a revelation to his servants in time past in dreams. There are many examples, particularly in the book of Genesis, that we could point to. For example, we find in Genesis chapter 20, guidance 
given in a dream, a dream which comes from God, not to one of God's servants indeed, but to Abimelech, the pagan king, who, believing Sarah, the the, wife of Abraham, to be his sister, because that's what Abraham had said, took her into his harem, and Genesis 23, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. So God did speak at times to people through dreams, that there are such things as dreams which are messages, although there were dreams, were messages from God. One of the most famous is the one from which eventually the name of this church comes, which is that which is found in Genesis 28, the account of Jacob. And Jacob, as he had fled from Esau, seeking to get himself a wife in the land of Paddan Aram, so so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall be spread you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so on. This was a genuine message from God. But there were many in the Old Testament, many of the false prophets, who appealed to dreams that they claimed to have had. Most notably, we find some of the opponents of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah had to contend with many false prophets, many people who claimed that they had words from the Lord. And God says in Jeremiah 23, 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. They appealed to their dreams. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, God goes on. Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff of the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says... Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. If I did not send them or command them, therefore they shall not profit this people at all. There they were, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. And whatever they had dreamed, whether it was a matter of simply the dreams that 
men had in their heads on their beds or whether they were actually lying, making up things and saying, well, I think God has told me this. When God has said nothing of the sort, they had no experience of the sort, we're not told. Probably a bit of both. Again, in Zechariah, God says, Zechariah 10, reading reading verse 2, For the idols speak delusions. The diviners envisage lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. You have these false teachers speaking false messages. And you can find, sadly, all over the place, particularly on the internet, people saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. And in some cases, given the benefit of the doubt, they have dreamed. But God didn't say anything. God didn't say it. You've got people who will come up, and people have the most bizarre dreams. They really do. I mean, I just to mention one I had a little while ago, and I had the most bizarre dream about a cross-dressing Adolf Hitler trying to recover something that would help him rebuild the Third Reich. Well, that's an incredibly bizarre dream. It means absolutely nothing, thankfully. But, you see, people do this. They say, well, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. And these false teachers, they said, we have dreamed, we have dreamed. We believe, they said, that God has spoken. And so they exalted their dreams above the word of God. That was the problem that the dreamers had in the days of Jeremiah, that God says, let him who has my word speak my word. Because the word of God is as a fire and is as the stone that breaks in, as a hammer that breaks the stone in pieces. And we find several times in these false teachers who are mentioned in the New Testament the same thing. They are appealing to things that they claim are direct revelations. So that the Apostle Paul, just to give one example, as he writes to the Colossians, he writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And the implication of things which he has not seen isn't that these are things that simply he hasn't seen, but they're things he claims to have seen, but hasn't. It's again the, the claim to direct revelation from God. These dreamers claimed direct revelation from God. They claimed that God has told me, and therefore... That claim to direct revelation, so they said, trumps absolutely everything else. But what were they like? These dreamers, because of this, in their dreams they defile the flesh. And that's a reference straight back to verse 7, to what went on with Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, these are people who were into sexual immorality. 
They defile the flesh. They reject authority. And that is to say the authority of God, which God brings in his word, the authority that God has established. So that rather than listening to the word of God, they say, our dreams are better. They reject the authority of God, just as the fallen angels rejected the authority of God, and speak evil of dignitaries. The Apostle Peter says a very, something very similar in Second Peter 2.10. He says, they are those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. What do they mean? What is meant here by speaking evil of dignitaries? Well, it would seem to be, given the context, speaking evil of the angels. And why would they speak evil of angels? Well, it's because the angels are associated in these scriptures with the giving of the law, the giving of God's law. In Acts 7, in Stephen's great speech, he alludes to this in verse 38. He says, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. So you have here the idea of the giving of the law via particularly the angel of the Lord. But then in verse 53, who have received the law by the direction of angels, plural, and have not kept it. So the idea is that there was some work of the angels in the giving of the law. We find the same concept given by the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. And so again you have this point that the, the angels played a part in the giving of the law. Now these false teachers, of course, were against the law. They despised the authority of God which is expressed in his law. And so because the law was given through angels, they spoke evil of these angels through whom the law was given, insinuating, perhaps, that the, the law wasn't actually God's law at all, but something that the angels had made up, fabricated, and that God himself was above the law, beyond good or evil, to allude to Friedrich Nietzsche's attitude. The idea that God is simply power beyond good and evil doesn't matter what you do. This actual antinomianism which led to their wicked behaviour defiling the flesh. And then he brings in this illustration which is in many ways to us a little bit puzzling in verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when in dispute about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now immediately, 
we go, well, where's that in the Bible other than here? And the answer is very simply, it's not anywhere in the Bible other than here. We find that the record of the death of Moses in the scriptures is very straightforward, very simple. It's given in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34, reading from verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. And that's all we're told about the death and burial of Moses, that God took his life and God buried him. But of course, people being people, certain traditions grew up around it, and the story was quite current in Jewish circles that what happened after Moses died was that God gave the body of Moses to the archangel Michael to bury. And as Michael was getting ready to bury the body of Moses, the devil came along and said, he belongs to me because he's a murderer. He killed an Egyptian. And the devil disputed then that the body of Moses should be his. And he, and according to certain of the tradition, the devil then said to, to Michael, well, surely you don't say that murder is all right. Surely you would condemn him as well. So that the idea was that the devil tempted Michael the archangel to condemn Moses against God's own verdict of pardon on Moses. And the holy angel, the, the holy angel, the holy archangel, instead of replying with a, an accusation, simply said to the evil one, the Lord, rebuke you. Now it's not in the Bible, but undoubtedly, because it's repeated here, it was a story, a tradition that these people had heard. It's an illustration. Now that doesn't mean, as some have thought, well, does that mean then that the book in which this tradition is found belongs in the Bible? Well, the answer is no, which is a good thing, because whatever book has appeared in doesn't exist anymore. Uh, or at least the bit of the book that appeared in doesn't. There is a little apocryphal work, intertestamental work, about Moses, which may or may not have originally contained this story, but the relevant part has been lost, so we don't know. But no, this does not belong in the book, does not belong in the scriptures. And we find there are several places in the Bible where the Apostle Paul, just to mention one, but we find also in the Old Testament where books that are not part of the Bible are quoted cited, mentioned, so that on Mars Hill in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul actually quotes a pagan poet. Mars Hill, Acts 17, we find the Apostle is preaching on, is preaching at the Areopagus, and he quotes one of their poets. So he says, 
Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Now that's a quote from, from a pagan poet. Doesn't mean that the pagan poet's work belongs in the Bible, but that Paul in his sermon is quoting it as an illustration to say, look, even your own poets had a higher view of God than you do. And here there is this tradition that these people are familiar with, and Jude simply brings it up as an illustration, just as a preacher today might quote from Pilgrim's Progress, or might quote even from the newspaper, or as some, some do from uninspired literature. So we have here an illustration. And the whole point of the illustration is this, that Michael doesn't take to himself, didn't take to himself, the office of a judge. Instead, he referred judgment to God. It's an illustration of what our Lord himself said. Judge not, lest you be judged. That is to say, do not take to yourself the role of the judge who sits in judgment over others because God is the judge. What a contrast then, Jude says, to these false teachers. Here is this holy archangel who, when he was disputing with the devil himself, did not bring a a railing accusation, did not make himself judge. But here then are these men... And they speak evil of whatever they do not know. Now, no doubt, these men claim to have greater insights than anybody else. Why else would they be citing their dreams as a source of revelation, as a source of knowledge from God? But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, what they don't understand. And what they don't understand, he intimates, is anything to do with God or the spiritual realm. And they certainly don't understand the law of God. That The law of God is spiritual and is righteous and is just and is good. They don't understand these things and so they speak against them. They speak evil and whatever they do know. Whatever they do know, he says, they're, they're like, what they do know, they know naturally. They don't know it spiritually. Again, no doubt these men would have said, we're spiritual and we know everything spiritually. And Jude says, no, they know things naturally, but they know nothing spiritually. And in the things they do know, they're like the animals. They're like brute beasts, driven by instinct, driven by their appetites. That's a a foul picture that's given of these people because they were, no doubt, foul people. They were people who, whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. Thinking of themselves to be better than angels. They have made themselves less than human. They who were presumed to judge, who presumed to sit as judges over the Lord of God, They have corrupted themselves and made themselves worse than animals, destroying themselves in what they do, corrupting themselves. And so Jude here is very much exhorting us to 
test everything by the word of God. Because our source of authority and the great authority over everything is God. Who has spoken in his scriptures. Not in men's dreams. Not in men's imaginations. Not in the pretended visions of mystics and so on and so forth. But these people are speaking against the word of God. But the word of God is our authority. And the Lord of God is good and right. And our conduct is to be conformed to God's word. That we are not lawless, but that we are under the law to Christ. And it is God who is the judge, he says finally. But God decides the final fate of everybody. It's not our job. It's not our job to look at somebody and say, well, that person's going to go to hell. That person's an apostate. Now, we can say that what that person is doing is condemned by God and that God says that what they are doing leads to hell. But it's not that we condemn them. It is that the Lord of God, who is over all, condemns. So God is the judge and we commend all judgment to him and we understand only insofar as we are taught by our God. May God then guide us into his word to know it more, to love him more, to know his teachings more for his name's sake. Amen. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Amen. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll listen to sermon number two. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon two, The Pattern of Treachery by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen. Angel came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this. When you don't pray, 
angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy of prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Because when you pray, God gives angels their their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Attention angels, this is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the uh, latest downturn in the economy. And I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And I wish there was something that I could do about this. But, you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. Um, we, uh, we've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, a spiritual relief type of thing. And uh, so those of you who have been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, relief office and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you. All right. All right. Everyone just calm down. Thank you. Now, I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next! What's your name? George. George. Whatever. Where'd you fly in from? South Orange County, California. California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, uh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right? Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things. I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's our premium spiritual relief basket. Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use. (laughs) I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay. Harold, where are you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurting. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods is just filled to bursting with heretical slop. Uh, What are they praying for nowadays? It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still. I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. (laughs) I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? (laughs) Are those bozos still praying to dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean, seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who is the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. 
sorry. I'm just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next! Chris Rod, I'm for cheap travel this or pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Hey you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twistbusters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Under Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, today's dreamers in the church are actually false prophets and false teachers. Because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And it is a site, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. And rank is based upon your monthly uh, your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at uh, $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button or if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. If you'd like to become a patron, click on the Become a Patron button. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along, second sermon from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley on the Book of Jude is titled, The Pattern of Treachery. Here we go. Our scripture reading this evening 
is the Epistle of Jude, that penultimate book of the New Testament. A small little work so packed, full of content, calling us to contend for the faith and warning about the enemies of the church. So, the Epistle of Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you, that these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words that were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 
and on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his holy word. Now as we work our way through this epistle, we have come to verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Jude's readers were people who were very familiar with the Bible. They were very familiar with the Bible characters, with the teaching of Scripture. So that Jude here can simply bring out these three figures and assume that his readers know who he's talking about. I was reading not that long ago one of these articles that appears every so often talking about how we need to change our hymn books. And one of the complaints that in it was that with the, the hymn that contained... Come thou fount of every blessing. You've got that line, here I raise my Ebenezer. And the writer of the article was saying, well how many people are going to get that reference? Well Jude's readers would have got that reference. Because Jude here simply is able to say, Cain, Balaam, Korah. And his readers know what he's talking about. That there is here this biblical teaching on error. And Jude, as I said, the penultimate book of the New Testament. And it's almost that you can say that, well, God expects that by the time you read Jude and Revelation, you've read the rest of the Bible, and you'll be able to go back and to say, oh yes, it's this, it's that, it's this other thing that's being mentioned and we need our Old Testaments. On Monday, that wonderful weather, I decided to go out and went over to St Asaph in North Wales. And outside the cathedral there, there's this Victorian monument, the Translator's Monument. And it's of the men who gave the Bible in Welsh. And you go inside and they've got an original 1588 William Morgan Bible. Now, William Morgan was a a vicar in rural Wales who, they had the New Testament in Welsh, but it it was not a very good Welsh, but not the Old Testament. And this vicar said to himself, we need the Old Testament and the New Testament. And see, if you don't have the Old Testament, you don't understand this in the New Testament, when it brings up Cain, Balaam, Korah. And here you've got a progression. There's a pattern here. There's an order. It's not a chronological order because Korah actually comes chronologically before Balaam. But it's an order in the way things go. And it's perhaps helpful also to know that in the Greek, the last word of this verse isn't Korah, but it's destruction. 
They were destroyed. They perished. In the rebellion of Korah, they perished. Ends with the that. Begins with the going in the way of Cain. Then running in the era of Balaam. And then they perished. They perished. Well, what is the way of Cain? Cain was the first murderer. And his murder is recorded for us. The murder he committed is recorded for us in Genesis 4. And we'll read in Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. It's helpful here to know what the, the two sons' names mean. Cain means acquired. Abel, on the other hand, means vanity. That which is passing away, it's breath. But we find that the one whose name suggests value is the worthless one. And the man whose name suggests worthlessness is the, the one who's commended by God. It came to pass, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. The picture is that there is this beast that is crouching at the door, waiting to jump upon him and master him and control him. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God might very well have replied, No, you're your brother's murderer. And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So there is this curse placed upon him because he is a murderer. But the way of Cain, here is Cain, he makes his offering, is not accepted by God. On the other hand, Abel made an offering that God did accept. And we find this is referred to in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. You have, of course, in Hebrews chapter 11, the, what's been referred to as the Hall of Faith passage, speaking about the, the faithful in the Old Testament. And Hebrews 11, 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. So you have there this reference to Abel being a better man, if you will, than Cain. 
that Abel had faith and Cain did not. Cain was an unbeliever. Now, the Jew was in their legends, came up with all kinds of stories about Cain, and they pictured him as the archetypal unbeliever. They said, and indeed the Bible points this out, Abel is the believer, Cain is the unbeliever. Abel is the one who comes to God in faith. Cain is the one who comes without faith. Again, Cain lacks love. Am I my brother's keeper, he says. As if to say, I don't need to have anything to do with my brother. And yet, of course, ironically, he's actually just murdered him. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, he should have been. And yet, instead, he became his brother's murderer. We find another reference is made to him in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3 and reading from verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. So here you have this picture that they have gone in the way of Cain. That is to say that they they lack love towards their brethren. They lack faith towards God. If you think about it, the false teacher must ultimately on some level be an unbeliever. Because they're attributing to God things that God has not said. And anyone who says God has said this when God hasn't said it is speaking as if God is merely a figment of the imagination that God does not exist in his mind. Because if he believed that God existed and that God is the God of justice, then he would be terrified and would not dare to tell lies about God. But the way of Cain is the way of unbelief. And the way of a love that is self-directed, the love of self, but not the love of others. A false love and a false faith. That is the way of Cain. Secondly, the progress, they have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. Now, Balaam is a character who is perhaps most remembered today, not so much for himself as for his donkey. But he is found in the book of Numbers, Numbers 23 and 24 in particular. Balaam was a a man who was known as a prophet. And so we find that in Numbers 22... Indeed, Numbers 22, then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, 
which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people. To call him, saying, look, the people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I should be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you curse is whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. And what goes on then is that God speaks to Balaam and says, verse 12, You shall not go with them, you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honourable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honour you greatly. That is, of course, a, a euphemism for give you a great deal of money. And I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now, why wait? God has already said, you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Why wait? Because he hopes that God will change his mind, because he wants the money. And so we find Balak goes on to attempt to bribe Balaam and yet Balaam because God is God cannot possibly do what Balak wants him to do and we find that Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place and Balak also went his way and yet that's not the end of the matter instead we find that in Numbers 31, Numbers 31, and verse 8, we read, They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Baor, they also killed with the sword. Perhaps ironic, Balaam had, it is ironic, Balaam had prayed, let me die the death of the righteous. Instead he died the death of the wicked. And why was that? Well, this is brought out particularly in a number of, a couple of other chapters of the Bible, what it was that Balaam then did when God had refused to curse Israel. We find that it is mentioned by Nehemiah, for example, Nehemiah 13 and verse 2. Nehemiah 13 verse 2, he is referred to. Speaking about the Moabites and the Amorites. They had not met the children of Israel of bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. 
So he, he was hired to curse Israel, but that didn't work. So what was his second plan? We find this mentioned Numbers 31.16. What the background here is that in overcoming the Moabites and overcoming the Midianites, they took captive all the women and children. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now the matter of Peor was that the Midianites sent their women to seduce Israel. So that the Israel, so the Israelites were joined to Peor. We find Numbers 25, verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the women to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. In other words, Balaam, having failed to curse Israel, decided that he would bring Israel to curse themselves by departing from God through the seductions of the Moabite women. This is further mentioned in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. This is written to the angel of the church in Pergamos. But I have a few things against you, because you hold, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So Balaam is one who tempts other people to sin, who goes to God's people and says to them, you can mix the worship of God with false worship. He's somebody who tries to seduce people from the straight and narrow and teaches them to commit immorality. These false teachers have been compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. They're now compared to Balaam. They're those who are encouraging other people to commit immorality. And Balaam's Motive was the profit motive. He was motivated by greed. And these people too, they are motivated by greed to, to pile up riches for themselves. They have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. Many people, many, many people like to be told that they can behave Abominably, they can do these abominable things that the Lord hates. And they will pay people to tell them. They will go to those churches, those false teachers who will tell them, Oh, God's all right with your sin. God's all right with your wicked pride. And these people, these antinomians, to you the technical term, those who rejected the law, they have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. 
There's money in false teaching. But they have but in the rebellion of Korah they have perished. They have perished. Our translation is entirely right in rendering it as a past tense. They have perished. These men who are running around, who are teaching, who are arrogant, who are puffed up, have perished. That is to say, their destruction is absolutely sure and certain. It's not a matter of maybe, possibly, but it's a matter of they have perished. Their end is destruction. Now, Korah appears in Numbers chapter 16. Now, Korah, the son of Isar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men and they rose up before Moses with some, with some of the children of Israel. 250 leads of the congregation, represented the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much on yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Which was a lie. God had appointed Moses and Aaron to their positions. Moses was the prophet of God, the man of God, the servant of the Lord. God chooses his own servants. God had put him in that position. Aaron was the high priest who chose Aaron. God did. What did Moses say when God said to him, I want you to lead my people. Please, Lord, send somebody else, is what Moses said. Moses was the meekest of men. He was a man who shrank from power and responsibility. He wasn't a man who grasped power for himself. So why does Korah, the Dathan and Abiram and on? Why are these men saying this? It's because they're the ones who are grasping for power. It's, to use a term we use today, it's projection. They're projecting their own feelings onto Moses and Aaron. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all, his, and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near him. But one whom he chooses, that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near him. See how it's all about God. It's not about us. But for Korah, it's all about us. Do this, Moses goes on. Take censers, Korah, and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. You sons of Levi, it's a small thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation 
of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them and that he has brought you near to himself you and all your brethren the sons of Levi with you and are you seeking the priesthood also therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord and what is Aaron that you complain against him you are gathered against the Lord Korah is the rebel, the man who will want, wants nothing to do with God's organization, with God's way of organizing things, of ordering things. He's the man who says in the church, well, why shouldn't I be a leader? It's not how it works. It's a matter of the church of God. is organized with elders and deacons and it is the congregation of the Lord who recognize or refuse to recognize somebody's claim to gifts of leadership of ministry it's not something no one takes this ministry to himself no one takes any ministry in God's house to himself but Korah says I will take it They were gathered together against the Lord. The rejection of God's constituted authority. And what happened? What happened to Korah? Well, first of all, Moses said, verse 28, By this you shall know the Lord has sent me to do all these works. I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally, like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, and all the men with Korah, and all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. But at the same time, of course, you've got the men who are offering incense. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. They were destroyed. And it was a terrifying destruction. Picture the earth suddenly erupting and swallowing these people and all that they had whole. And then fire comes down from heaven and burns up the Levites with their senses who are offering incense which God did not accept. They perished with fire and destruction from God not from man and so it is with the false teachers in the rebellion of Korah because they are rebels like Korah they have perished their destruction is the destruction of Korah all these examples of divine judgment like Sodom and Gomorrah where we see the the judgment of God coming directly they are like previews of the final judgment. They remind us that God will judge the world in fire and destruction. 
when Christ comes again. They perished. And those who run in the way of Cain, unbelieving, unloving, those who go in the way of Cain, who run in the error of Balaam, greedily for profit, teaching people to disobey God, to break God's commandments, and they do it to make money. The rebellion of Korah is their destruction. Reminds us that false teaching damns the false teacher. Here are these, here are this pattern of wickedness. This pattern that is seen, we see it in false teachers. Unbelieving, unloving. Teaching for shameful gain the things they ought not to teach. Even as the Apostle Peter himself speaks in his second epistle. In Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Reading from verse 13. They will receive the waves of unrighteousness of those who count it a pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery. And that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable selves. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. There they are teaching for shameful gain the things which they ought not to teach. The end of such is destruction. And we therefore watch out. And we watch out for other people around us who may be deceived by these people. These people are very cunning deceivers. And therefore we test all things. Hold fast to what is good. And avoiding every appearance. Every, everything wicked whenever it appears. But holding fast to what is good. Even the holy word of God. The word of God. Which Jude can absolutely say. As he writes this, my readers will know who these people are. And so we are challenged to read our Bible so that we know who these people are and can interpret these things that God has given and know for a certainty. May God bless his word and help us to read it. Amen. Amen. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. What did you think? I found it quite helpful. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>